0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen, amen. Hey, let's not let this moment of worship be lost on us. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Would you bow your head, bow your heart with me in prayer? Let's go before the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are in awe of you. God, you are great and you are glorious and you are awesome, Lord. Lord, words are not fit to describe your majesty and your wonder. And Lord, the awe and reverence that we should have for the name of the holy, holy, holy God of the universe. And Lord, we pray that as we gather here this morning, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon this place. Lord, we pray this morning that as we gather before you here, Lord, that you would help us to recognize this morning that we are in the presence of the living God here this morning, that you are here in our midst, Lord. You are not far off. You are not distant, Lord. You are here among us this morning. Oh, Lord, would you help us to wrap our minds around that great and awesome truth? that Jesus Christ, the living one who died and is risen, is here present this morning. Would his name be exalted above all other things here today, we pray. Oh, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us, God. Come and change our hearts, Lord. We need it so badly. We need a fresh encounter of your grace, Lord, to change us and to make us like your son. So, Lord, come and meet us here this morning as we open your word. And as we bow our hearts before you, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. 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 Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Well, good morning, Harvest. It's great to see you all this morning, a full house already. That's wonderful. Um, Listen, as as we get going this morning, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our series in Acts. And uh, I'm going to be speaking to us this morning on the Lord's Supper, otherwise known as communion. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. So you could go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some ushers coming down the aisles right now. Just go ahead and put your hand up nice and high if you don't have a Bible. We'd love to get God's Word in your hand. Love for you to follow along. And listen, if you don't have a Bible at home, please keep that one. That's our gift you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your home that you can read every single day. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 this morning, and this morning we're going to take an in-depth look at communion, the Lord's Supper, and the Lord Jesus, right before his death on the cross, he gave the church two ordinances. Anyone know what they are? Who knows what they are? Two ordinances. The first is, just call it out. Baptism. There we go. And the second, we're a, little bit, we're a little bit slower on that one. That's okay. A communion or the Lord's Supper. And so we see the institution of the Lord's Supper in uh, three places in the Gospels. We see it in the book of Matthew in chapter 26. We see it again in Mark chapter 14 and then again in Luke 22. But this morning, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians is by far the most most in-depth coverage of the Lord's Supper. It not only talks about what the Lord's Supper is, but also speaks very clearly of many of the problems that can seep into the church and get our focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, uh, we've got a lot of verses in front of us, and so we're gonna jump into this fairly quickly here this morning. Let me just tell you this, we're not gonna cover each one of these verses in depth this morning. We're We're gonna pull out some of the highlights, okay? And so I hope you can follow along with that this morning. The purpose for this message today is really for us, as a church, to have a renewed sense of awe and reverence, a more vivid picture of the Lord's presence with us as we, as we worship him. Uh, Wayne Grudem, a uh, theologian, um, has got some, some great writings, and uh, he says this, he says, the meaning of the Lord's Supper is complex, rich and full. Several things are symbolized and affirmed in the Lord's Supper. One of the greatest joys of experiencing fellowship is in fact that we can eat and drink in the presence of the Lord. It would be healthy for the church today to recapture a more vivid sense of God's presence at the table of the Lord. That's what we're praying this morning. We're praying that we as a church would have a more vivid sense of God's presence here as we worship Him, as we celebrate communion. And so this morning at the end of the service, we're going to celebrate communion together But up until then, we're gonna seek God through his word to really see what he has to say about it. So let me just give you a quick summary just to make sure that we are all on the same page in this this morning. Uh, The Lord's Supper, it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And so we see glimpses of the coming of the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament primarily through Passover. Now Passover was established in Exodus when the people of Israel were about to leave the land of Egypt the Passover feast was held, and you remember that the doorposts were painted with the blood of a lamb. And that is all pointing forward to the coming of the lamb, the true lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, we see the establishing of the Lord's Supper by Jesus. And we see that in three places, as we mentioned earlier, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. You can check those out for yourself later today. And then we see throughout the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament that the Lord's Supper was observed by the early church. It was observed weekly by the early church. But we can't forget this, that the Lord's Supper is ultimately only fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes again and takes us to be with him in glory. And when we are with him in glory, we read in the book of Revelation that we will join in and we will eat of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow, that's gonna be a feast like no other, right? Why? Because Jesus Christ will be present there and we will worship like never before. And so really, loved ones, today, everything, everything in our worship is pointing to that coming day. It's pointing to that coming day when we are with Jesus Christ in glory and we worship him, being like him, but it is also, also pointing back to one moment in history, when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. And so this morning, I pray that this will not be lost on you, that what we're doing here today will not just be um, something that we do and go through the motions on today. There is so much more here for us. And so let's jump into things right now. 1 Corinthians, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to break this up into three sections. Okay, three sections, and so first of all, we are going to see the problems that were there in the Corinthian church around the Lord's Supper. Paul, in this section of God's Word, has some very strong things to say to the church, and I believe things that should not be lost on us here this morning either. And so let's jump in. Let's jump in uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's start at verse 17. We'll just read part of the passage right now, and then we will come back and read more in a few minutes. Paul writes this, But in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together, together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, Wow, strong language from Paul. Listen, there's a lot of things happening here in the early church at Corinth, uh, but one thing that we need to get right off the top, one thing that we need to remember uh, as we think about the Lord's Supper and as we think about communion, we need to remember this. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we recognize that we are one body united in Jesus Christ. Did you get that? When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we've got to recognize that we are one body, we are one church, we are one people that is united under one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're like, well, well, that's pretty basic, that's pretty simple. Yes, of course we are. We're all in one building. We all sit in rows together. We all sing the same songs. We all listen to the same sermon. Of course we're united. But listen, Paul's going after something so much bigger here in the church of Corinth, He's going after the personal divisions that exist within the church. Three things, three things this morning, three things that will kill communion. Three things that will kill our communion and our sense of worship as a body of believers. Here they are. First thing, a divisive attitude. A divisive attitude. An attitude that really seeks division, or is unwilling to forgive, let go, and move on. A divisive attitude. And the word right here, we see it right in the text. Verse 18, he says, and I hear that there are divisions among you. Really, the idea right there of that word division means to take a piece of cloth, for example, and to tear it apart, just to rip it right apart. Now, we're not talking about a minor disagreement here. We are talking about a full-on division just ripping apart. And so what what would a division in the church look like? Well, in Corinth, a lot of the divisions were over personality. There was personality divisions. We know that there were believers that say, well, I follow this person. I follow this person. Well, I follow this person. Well, you sit over here. I'm going to sit over here. We're not going to associate. Yeah, we're part of the same church together, but we're all going to do our own thing. It's not okay. The other thing that we see very clearly in this text is that when they were coming together for the Lord's Supper, there were divisions among them in this way. The wealthy, the wealthy would come early. They they were wealthy, they could work a little bit less, they could come early, they would bring their food, they would get it all ready and they would have a full meal. And the poor who would come later, the wealthy would eat everything that there was. So imagine that for a second. Imagine we all get together for a church potluck and it starts at three o'clock and you've got to work until five. And uh, you know, everybody that that doesn't have to work till five rolls in early and they eat all the food and it's gone and you get there and you've got nothing and you're hungry. Wow. Think about that. Think about the lack of love. Think about how divisive that would be. And so what we see here is we see a clear class separation in the church at Corinth. The wealthy doing their own thing with no regard for those who had less. This burdens the Lord's heart. And listen, we may not have um, that exact issue here in our church today, but divisions show up in our church today? Absolutely. Do divisive hearts show up within us? Absolutely. And I think divisions, a lot of the time in our church, will look a lot different, but they can be just as destructive and they can tear the body apart just as much. And listen, the Lord sees them exactly the same way. And so maybe the divisive attitude in our church today is maybe, you know, you're involved in something and you suggest something, uh, you suggest an idea and it doesn't happen and you're like, well, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm done, forget it. Divisive attitude. Or maybe, like a majority of us, more passively, Well, I'll stay, but I'm not going to like it. And when I have my opportunity, I'm going to let them know it. Divisive attitude. A divisive attitude. Don't miss the strength of this text. Verse 17, but in the following instruction, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, it is for the worse. If that's our attitude, if our attitude is divisive here in church, in so many ways, the Lord is saying it would be better if we didn't even come together. Wow. Wow. You know what? I love that, that we are unified, a unified people, but oh, that the Lord would grow us in this. And so even a little heart check, heart check right now before we move on from this point. Heart check right now. Do I have a divisive attitude? Do you have a divisive attitude? Is there something with a brother or a sister in this congregation that has allowed separation, that is dividing you, that is distracting you? Is there something that has been left unforgiven, that you have not dealt with? The Lord's instructions on this are really clear. Before you come to worship, you go and get that resolved. Then you come and worship the Lord. And so if there's a divisive attitude anywhere here this morning, really your takeaway from this message is one thing, One thing, I've got to get that resolved. I've got to humble myself and I've got to make it right. And imagine, imagine the heart that would be here and would be present if every person in this place humbled themselves enough to say, listen, I was wrong in this. I hurt you in this. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You know what? I believe that God would radically change our worship if we all had that heart. Communion killer number one, a divisive attitude. Communion killer number two, right here we see it in the text, a a disingenuous participation. Disingenuous participation. We see this in verse 19 right here. Paul says that there will be some to a sort... um, Divisions or factions, he says, among you in order that those who are, catch this word, genuine among you may be recognized. Disingenuous participation. All right, eyes up for a second. Eyes up for a second. Take a look around right now. Take a look around at your neighbors. Okay, you can do a full 360 if you want to. That's okay. There you go. All right, okay. Newsflash. Newsflash. Love you guys. But not everybody sitting in this place here this morning is guaranteed a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord says. He says right in his gospel that there will always be tares mixed in with the wheat. That's exactly what Paul is getting at right here. He's saying that to some degree, there will be some disagreements among you. Why? Why will there be some disagreements to a certain degree? So that those who are genuine, those who are real, those who are authentic, so that they will be revealed. Great test. Biggest test for a divisive attitude. Biggest test for are you in the faith? Are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ? Is this. Do you forgive as Jesus Christ forgave? Do you love as Jesus Christ loved? Are you willing to put aside your personal disagreements for his glory and for his name? Listen, there's always gonna be some disagreement here. You may not like everything that is said. You may not like all the decisions that are made, but the true test of your own heart is how you respond to that. And whether you can get on board with the bigger picture, the bigger plan, which is Jesus Christ, his kingdom and his glory. A divisive attitude will not do that. A disingenuous participation will not allow you to do that. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here and maybe right now you're, you say, well, I don't have a divisive attitude. I just, I just come on Sunday and I just show up and I just occupy a seat and then I go home and I hardly talk to anyone. And there's no room for division here with me. I, I don't really... Worship, I sing, but I don't really worship. I don't really feel very much during the worship service. Okay, heart check, heart check for you this morning. Could it be, could it be possible that you have a disingenuous attitude? That you show up for church and you arrive for church out of tradition, out of obligation? but you don't feel anything, you don't experience anything. God doesn't change your day-to-day life throughout the week by what you experience here. Heart test. Listen, I've been asking myself these questions, and guess what I found this week? Within me, there's a critical, divisive spirit that needs to be quenched every single day. Within me, there's a disingenuous participation that can go through the motions so easily and that needs to be broken off and that needs to be brought into the light. And so if that's you this morning, if you're you're here and you feel like I've just been going through the motions, I've just been playing church, this morning is a morning to wake up. This morning is a morning to wake up and repent and ask the Lord to fill your heart and to give you a new hope in Jesus Christ, a new life in Jesus Christ, to revive you, to refresh you and to give you a new joy in meeting him at his table, and in worship. A device of spirit, a disingenuous participation. And third thing, third thing that will kill worship, a selfish heart, a selfish heart. We see this in verse 20. Verse 20 says this right here, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper that you eat, for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. Okay, listen, I've never been to a church potluck that served alcohol before, okay? We've got to recognize there's a little cultural difference here between Corinth and us, okay? Um, so, so chances are that part's not going to happen. And, and chances are we are each going to be too outwardly humble to rush the table and take as much food as we possibly can, right? Okay, okay. You know, we get, we get pretty good at, uh, at, at, you know, working and living according to the church rules, don't we? But even check your own heart this morning. Is there a selfish heart in you? Is there a selfish heart in you this morning? A selfish heart that says, yeah, I'll serve, but I'll only do it when it's convenient. Is there a selfish heart in you that says, you know what? I've been coming here for like a year and a half, but I'm still going to flash my lights when I come into the parking lot to see if they'll park me in the front spot right? All right? All right? We, we, we laugh. We laugh, right? <laughs> but, but is there a selfish heart in you when you come together with the Lord's people? Is it a promotion of self? Listen, a selfish heart will kill not only the worship that happens here as a congregation, but it will destroy and crush worship within your own heart. So if that's there this morning. Again, by the grace of God, repent of that this morning. Call out to him for his grace to get rid of that in your life. And that's something that we've got to call out to the Lord on consistently. Three worship killers. As we look at the situation in Corinth, we see a real mess, don't we? But if we're honest, I think that, that we can look in. Okay, we can look in today and we can see the mess that's within our own hearts so often. And I I think one of the big takeaways this morning is that the Lord wants to change that mess in our hearts this morning. He wants to use this message, he wants to use this passage for us to do a 180, to be turned around, to be following him with a pure and open and full heart. Listen, when we come here to worship this morning, the main point and purpose of our worship here this morning is one thing. It's to exalt the name of God because he is worthy of our worship. Listen, we don't come here this morning for ourselves primarily. We don't come here this morning to get filled up ourselves primarily. That is a byproduct, church, of worshiping the living God and seeing his glory and his greatness. And when we see that and when we get that, the byproduct is that we are fired up, we are filled up, and we are fueled up to go out and live for him and his glory. You flip that upside down. You flip that upside down and you will be empty On the inside, totally empty. And this worship service that happens here, what will you get out of it? Very, very little. But you get that the right direction. You get that pointing vertical up to the Lord, and then you get that pointing out towards others. And man, God's gonna show up in your life in big ways. We can't miss that. We can't forget that. When we come together as a church, there's absolutely no room for divisions no room for disputes, no room for complacency, no room for selfish attitudes. It's the name and the glory of Jesus Christ that is number one, and that's what's at stake here every single weekend. That's what was at stake in Corinth. In communion, when we come and we celebrate the Lord's table, that should be one of the focal points of our worship, shouldn't it? That should be a moment. Where we meet with the Lord personally and corporately, and God shows up in great and awesome ways in our own lives. Well, we've seen the problems that can arise. Now let's take a look at the purpose of communion. The purpose of communion. Hey, why do we celebrate communion? Why, why do we do this, you know, once a month, twice a month? Why do we do it so often? What's the purpose? Let's read together, Paul gives us the purpose right here in the passage, and so let's read together 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's just dig in here for a second. There's a lot of things that we can see in this passage. Let me just draw out a few of them. Let me draw this out right away. Point number two in our message this morning. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we remember one sacrifice, Jesus Christ. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're not remembering a lot of different things. We're remembering one thing, one thing alone, one thing above everything else. The one reason that we are in this room today is because Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, gave himself on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be made whole. That's why we're here. We're not here to top up our tank. We're not here to you know, just do church functions. We are here because Jesus Christ The perfect, holy Lamb of God died on a sinner's cross for us to make us clean. That's awesome. That's great. That should get us fired up this morning. But listen, there's been a lot of confusion over the centuries about what the Lord's Supper really is. So this morning, I'd like to just take a minute and kind of clear up some of that confusion. There's been a lot of different um, thoughts And uh, confusing teachings that have gone out in different traditions about what actually takes place in the Lord's Supper. And so some have taught um, that the elements, the, the bread and the juice, the wine, or whatever it is, they've taught that that actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. Okay, some have taught that. I don't think that would be the, the standard view here among us today, but some have taught that there is something that actually happens where the elements become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just show of hands, show of hands. Um, how, how many would interpret this passage to say that? Hands up. Okay, I'm not seeing many. All right. Okay. All right. That's good. We, we didn't give you long so that you wouldn't put up your hand. That's good. Um, so Listen. Jesus in Matthew 26, 26, he said this, this is my body, he held up the bread, and he said, this is my body. What did Jesus mean there? Did he mean that that piece of bread was physically his body? No, no, he is creating a symbol for the church, a symbol to remember him. Jesus didn't mean that that was any more his body than he meant in John 10, When he said, I am a door, he didn't mean that was his body any more than he meant in John 10, that he was like a seven-foot plank with a knob attached to it, okay? He wasn't saying, I am literally a door. And Jesus is not saying in Matthew 26, this is literally my physical body. Jesus is saying, he is saying that this church is a symbol Of my body with deep spiritual meaning. My body was broken for you. This bread is broken for you. Every time you break this bread, remember me and remember what I endured for you on the cross. And so what do we have at the Lord's table? We have a symbol with great and deep significance. And so confusion, some have said that it actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's not correct. But listen then, others have gone the opposite direction. And I think this would be more of our problem today around the Lord's Supper. We've said it's a symbol. Now catch this with very little significance. It's just a symbol. That's it. It's just a symbol. We just rush through it. We take this and maybe it does something for me and maybe it doesn't. That's equally wrong. On one hand, you've got wrong teaching over here, and on the other hand, you've got wrong teaching over here. And listen, a lot of the time today in many churches, we see the Lord's Supper being rushed. We see it being tagged on to the beginning or the end of the service with really very little time to, to sit down and to reflect on who the Lord is and what He's done and where my life is at right now. Both of these are wrong. As I was getting ready for this message, I, uh, I was kind of doing a little bit of digging on this point, and I came across this, uh, this one picture on, uh, on the internet, and uh, it was a, a church that was trying to really, you know, get something going for their worship service. Uh, attendance had been dropping off, not as many people coming out to communion as before, and so right on the church sign, uh, they had this on the front of the sign, uh, join us, join us for communion, a new worship experience. Drive-through communion. Hey, listen, is that what we're going for? (laughs) Drive-through communion, right? Just get it and go. That's it. No, but listen, okay? Though we aren't going to have drive-through communion anytime, so don't don't get your hopes up on that one, all right? Um, Though we're not going to do that, the same attitude can be here, can't it? That we can just blow in and blow out from the Lord's Supper. Heart's not changed. Mind's not changed. Divisions still happening within the body. We can't treat this lightly. The Lord takes his table very seriously. We need to take it seriously too. So what's the true meaning? What's the true meaning of communion? Here it is right here. We've got a definition. Can we bring that up on the screen? The true meaning of communion. The bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper are powerful symbols that physically represent the mystery the mystery of our true spiritual union with Jesus Christ. John Calvin said it this way. He said, whenever God gives a symbol to represent anything, the true thing, the real thing is close at hand. Do we get that this morning? That when we take this bread and when we take this cup in a few minutes, though that is not actually, physically, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Do we get that Jesus Christ is here in this place this morning, that he is here, and when we take that in faith, we are in fact saying, Lord, I participate with you in your suffering. I take you to be my Lord. I take you to be my Savior. Do we get that? Do we get that? That when we do that as a community here this morning, we are saying to one another, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. I recognize that he died for me and now I want to live for him. That's the true meaning of communion. And we we can miss that so easily. It's a couple things, couple things. Let's also remember this. We must remember Christ's body and Christ's blood. We must remember Christ's body that was broken for us and we must remember his blood that was poured out for us. We see this in verses 24 and verses 25. Verse 24. And the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. Remember that church. picture of the bread breaking is the picture of Christ's body breaking for us. Just hold that thought in your mind for a moment. I know we don't necessarily like to think about that. We need to think about it. We need to think about the fact that Jesus Christ, the perfect holy one, was broken for us. Not only did he hang on a cross, he suffered the most severe beating that could be given under Jewish and Roman law. He was torn apart for us. He was beaten for us. He was broken for us. He was broken for for you. Maybe you sit here this morning and maybe, you know, this is one of your first times coming to church. And Maybe you're here this morning and you're not positive what all this is about. Let me just tell you, don't miss this one thing if that's you this morning. You cannot miss this. Jesus Christ, God's perfect son, came into this world for one reason and one reason only, to seek and save the lost. He lived an absolutely perfect life. He didn't sin in any way at all. But he did die on a sinner's cross. And what was it that held Jesus Christ to that cross? It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the nails. He could have got down any moment. He's God. It was his love for lost sinners. And he hung there all the way to death for us. His body was literally broken for us so that we could be made whole. And listen, this morning, if if you're visiting with us or if you're new, you 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 can have Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior through putting your faith and trust in him and repenting of your sin and surrendering your life to him this morning. But listen, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ and you love Jesus Christ, let that thought stick in your mind this morning. Don't lose that this morning. That Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for you. We can't miss the significance of that this morning. It's okay, Tim. We remember Christ's body and blood this morning. And as we remember Christ's body and blood this morning, what happens as we do that? Here's what happens as we do that. We are spiritually nourished. Bread. Bread was the picture all through the Old Testament and of the New Testament. It's the picture of not only physical nourishment, but also spiritual nourishment. Do you get that? Go back and track it all the way through the Old Testament. Whenever you read of bread, what you're reading of is a picture, a symbol of spiritual nourishment. As bread nourishes the body, not our bread today, okay? All right, okay, but but real bread, all right? As bread nourishes the body, Jesus Christ nourishes our bodies. And we see that all through the Old Testament. We see that in Exodus, don't we? When the children of Israel leave from from Egypt and they're heading through the wilderness and what comes down from heaven? Manna. Yeah, manna, okay. Bread, <laughs> let's go with bread, all right? Let's try that once more, okay, yes, okay. Manna, you're right, manna, what, yes, yes, yes. All right, okay, so, so, so bread, manna, comes down from heaven. All right, and, uh, and what else? When Jesus fed the 5,000, what did he give them? Work with me here. Come, come on, come on. Yes, there was some fish there, but mostly there was. Bread. All right, now we got it. All right, so bread and bread, okay? And then, and I think we'll get this one now. I think we'll get it. One, one, one more try. You need to be quiet though, okay? Uh, one more try here. In John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the of life. That's right. So anytime, time that we take communion, anytime we take the Lord's Supper, anytime we take that bread, we are recognizing, Jesus Christ, you give me spiritual life. And apart from you, I have no life. Wow, what a deep and beautiful symbol. We remember Christ's body broken for us. We remember his blood poured out for us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he poured out his blood. It is his blood that cleanses us from every sin and makes us pure and holy. And listen, there's so much happening in the Lord's Supper that that we cannot miss. And let's get this. Two things, two things right here. First of all, when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ himself is affirming his love for us. And for you individually. Individually. It's a reminder of his great love when you take that bread that he went to the point of death for you. What a reminder, what a vivid picture of the love of Jesus Christ. And also this, Jesus Christ is affirming in the Lord's Supper that all the blessings of salvation are reserved for me and for you. Think about that for a second. Think about all the blessings of salvation. Don't try to write these down, they won't be up on the screen, but just let them run through your mind as I go through them quickly a few of them right here. First of all, the blessing of justification. We have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Second, redemption. We have been bought from sin and death by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation. We are reconnected to the living God propitiation, God's rightful wrath towards me has now been turned to favor through Jesus Christ. More than that, we have been adopted into God's family. We have been given new life. We've been given new identity. I am being changed. You are being changed by his grace. That's sanctification, wow, wow amazing blessings, and we can't forget this blessing, that each true believer in Jesus Christ has a place reserved for them in heaven, glorification, that one day we will be made like Jesus. All of our sin will be washed away. We will see him and we will be like him. And all the struggle of this world and this earth will be over. And we will be in the presence of our king for all eternity. How awesome is that? Wow. There's so much. So much significance here in the Lord's Supper. One other thing that we can't miss. When we take the Lord's Supper, when we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death. We see this in verse 26 in our passage. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so simple meaning, you proclaim it individually. We as a people, as a congregation, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See why unity in the body is so important? See why God uh, thinks that is such a big deal? We proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. Galatians 2.20 said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when we take the bread and the cup from a pure heart out of pure worship to the living God, we are proclaiming, I have died to myself, I have died to this world, and I live for no one but Jesus Christ alone. Wow, what a rich and beautiful thing we get to celebrate today, isn't it? I hope that encourages you. I hope that blesses you this morning. But our passage isn't done yet. We've got a few more verses to go through, and uh, these are the most serious verses in the passage. Verses, though, that, that we can't skip over. Verses that the Lord wouldn't have us bypass quickly, and so we need to spend a few moments right here. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27 through 32. We've seen the, the problem and the purpose, the problem around communion, the purpose of communion. And now we're going to see how we must prepare our hearts for communion. Let's write this one point down together before we read the passage. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, I must examine myself. Let's get that point up on the screen. There we go. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, I must examine myself. If my wife was here right now this morning, she would tell me that's grammatically incorrect. And yes, it is. Intentionally so. When we collectively participate in the Lord's Supper, I personally must examine myself. It does me no good to sit here this morning and think about how my neighbor is doing in their faith. Wow, I don't think they're doing so well. I am. (laughs) Wow, come on, really? Okay, listen, listen. When we collectively take part in the Lord's Supper, each one of us, must examine our own heart. And that's serious. It's very serious. And we're going to see that in this passage. Let me read through it right now, right till the end of the passage at verse 32. So we'll start at verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Catch this. So that we may not be condemned along with the world. Wow. Let's just take a minute and just dig into this for a second. First of all, we see that we must examine ourselves. We must examine ourselves, and I'm not going to really sugarcoat this. I'm not going to try to pass off any verses that are here. I want to deal with them. Yes, I'm going to deal with them a little bit quickly, but I want to deal with them all. And so in verse 27, we see this. Whoever therefore eats in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means simply this. Anyone who eats in an unworthy manner brings on themselves the guilt of Jesus' sacrifice. The picture that's given here is that we move from the place of being the person for whom Jesus poured out his sacrifice, the recipient of that, to the person that is there condemning him and crucifying him and scoffing at him and mocking him. Wow, that is serious. That is serious. It's easy for us to move into communion quickly, but we shouldn't. We should move into communion really thinking through it clearly with a pure heart. To move into communion and take the elements of communion without discerning the body is like a person who takes the flag of a nation and tramples it underfoot. They don't just trample on a piece of cloth, do they? They trample on everything that nation stands for. They trample on every freedom that they have. They disgrace the very nation that that flag represents and also the men and women that gave their lives for the freedom that they have. And listen, that's exactly the picture that Paul is painting here for us. When we take communion, the Lord's Supper, without examining our own heart, we trample. We neglect the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That should be, not be an easy thing for us right now. This should be something that, that stirs our hearts and says causes us to say, wow, have I done that in my life? And I can think of times in my own life, especially as a young child, where I took communion at my church and I definitely took it in an unworthy manner. And so this deals with a couple different groups of people. First of all, it deals with the unbeliever who would take communion. Taking communion thinking that they're going to get something spiritually from this or thinking that they're going to gain salvation from it. Wrong. It's a mistreatment of the Lord's body. But this also deals with the believer who is living a double life. The one who has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ but will not live for him, will not live in public for him, Wants nothing to do with him except on Sunday. This deals with a few different groups of people. And so even inspect your own heart right now. Where are you at right now in your walk with Jesus Christ? Is there sin that has been rising up in you that you have not been willing to deal with? And if so, then this morning is a morning to repent. It's a morning to confess that sin and to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and to ask him to revive your heart and revive your life and to change you from the inside out. A few questions we'll have up on the screen right now that will help us to examine ourselves. A few questions just to think through as we examine our hearts and we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together in a few minutes. First of all, here's question number one. Have I genuinely received Jesus Christ as my Savior? That's the most important question. It's the number one question. Do you genuinely, personally know Jesus? Or are you just going through the motions? Number two, have I truly followed, am I truly following Jesus or am I leading a double life? Number three, is there a hidden sin in my life that needs to be repented of? Four, am I stirring up division or building up unity within the church? Five, what are my motives for participating in communion? Is it tradition, obligation, or does it come from a sincere desire to meet with Jesus? Number six, am I loving Jesus with all my heart and fully relying on his grace at this moment? Listen, There's not one of us in and of ourselves that is worthy to take communion here by ourselves this morning. The only common ground that we have, the only thing that makes us worthy is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. But don't trample his sacrifice underfoot. Don't regard it lightly. Don't neglect it this morning. Listen, church, sin is something that God takes very serious in the church. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. He sees it all. And if he takes it seriously, we should take it seriously. We should take it seriously in our own lives too. In fact, Jesus' language around sin is so strong that he says, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out because it's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven blind than with both eyes perish into the lake of fire. Are we that serious about sin in our lives in our midst, in this church. We should be because right here in the text, it tells us that God disciplines those who won't discern and correct themselves. We see that right here, verses 29 through 32. These are strong verses, these are serious verses. Verse 29 For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Notice the result, verse 30. Notice the result of them participating in the Lord's Supper in this way in Corinth, right here in verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Let the weight of that just sink in for a second. People died physically in Corinth because they trampled the sacrifice of the Lord underfoot and they mistreated his table. Wow. Wow. Listen, sometimes we have such a shallow view of grace. We see grace as the thing that builds me up, the thing that makes me feel better. But listen, sometimes God in his grace is willing to pursue us so far that he's even willing to bring suffering sickness, illness, weakness into our lives to turn us back from the path that we are walking. God loves his people with a pursuing, never giving up grace, and he will go to any extent. He will relentlessly pursue you and even put something in your way to cause you to turn back to him. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, it says, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Even God's judgment is an act of his grace. But I want you to notice something here in this text. The people that are being referred to in this passage, we're not speaking of eternal death here. We've got to be super clear on that. Because the passage is very clear on that. We're not speaking of an eternal death and destruction. Notice this, verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Wow. Wow. God's judgment in the church and on believers is an act of His grace. I want you to notice one other thing. Earlier in the text, it says this, verse 31, again, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Let's discern our hearts truly this morning. Let's judge our own hearts truly this morning. Why? So that we're not a church that receives any judgment from the Lord but so that we are a church that God just pours and pours and pours His grace out upon every single moment of every single day. I love how this passage ends. The verse, The end of verse 32 gives us so much hope, doesn't it? So that we may not be condemned along with the world. Listen, there's a remedy for each one of us here this morning, and if you're here this morning and you feel like you've been taking the Lord's sacrifice lightly, if, if, if you think that in your life you've been neglecting his sacrifice, you've been pushing it off to the sidelines, marginalizing it, here's the solution this morning. The solution is this, simply one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his grace and his grace alone. That's the solution this morning. The remedy for our unworthiness is Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His grace does not change, his grace does not end. And today, simply, each one of us can come and bow before the throne of grace and receive grace in full measure today. We can bow our heads and hearts today and with tears in our eyes We can say, Lord, I've been taking this way too lightly. I have been playing church. I have been faking it as a Christian. And today, God, it needs to change. I need to get right with you today, God. God, would you forgive me for all the sin in my life and all the things that I've been pursuing apart from you? And God, would you break my heart over these things, Lord? And would you pour out your spirit upon me, Lord? Help me to remember that I am your child, that I am loved by you, that your grace is for me today and your grace will change me today and I can move forward from this place knowing that Jesus Christ's sacrifice is enough for me. That's where we are this morning. We're in that place this morning as we come to the Lord's table. We're in a place of reflection this morning. And if you're here this morning, and you're struggling with that. I just want us to see one verse more than anything. It comes out of First John. It's verse chapter one, verse nine. Love this verse. Gives me so much hope. First John one nine. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel is you can't do it on your own, I can't do it on my own. We can't make it back to God on our own. But Jesus Christ has made the way. Jesus Christ died the death that I should have died so that I could have the life that only he has. So this morning, remember this verse. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, there is no sin, there is no unrighteousness in your life that is too big for Jesus Christ. And so this morning, bring it, lay it at his throne, lay it down before him. And when you leave here, don't pick it up again. It's his, it's done. The work is finished at the cross and we can praise the Lord for that. And right now we're going to take a minute just to do exactly what this section of scripture says. We're going to take a minute to reflect. We're going to take a minute to examine our own hearts right now. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, first question, most important question, why not? What holds you back? Why haven't you come to Him? His offer of grace is free to you today. All that you need to do is come, as that song said that we sang, come ye sinners. Just come today. Come to Jesus Christ today. I plead with you, come to Jesus Christ and receive life today. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, but his sacrifice has grown dull in your heart, if it hasn't been your number one priority, your number one motivator, just confess that to him this morning. If you've been living a double life this morning, confess that to him this morning and pray, Lord, would you cut it off today? I wanna be all in for you, for your glory and for your kingdom. If you're here this morning and there's divisions, if you've been stirring up divisions in the church, Or in your family. Or with your friends. Confess that to him this morning. His grace is sufficient for you this morning. And then when you leave here this morning, you go and you make that right. That's the necessary step. If there's divisions, you need to go and make it right. Also take a moment just to look at your motives this morning for taking communion. Are you doing it out of ritual? Or are you doing it out of a sincere love For Jesus Christ. Examine your heart this morning. And I love what it says at the top of the passage, verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. Listen, you need not pass it by this morning if you know that you are a sinner, that you are unworthy but if you see Jesus Christ as sufficient to have covered your sin. Each one of us is unworthy, but Jesus Christ alone is worthy. Take a moment and reflect right now, and in a minute I will come up and pray, and then the communion servers will come forward.